Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. I was recently contacted by a woman from the recovery community, and she's she's dating a guy that I that I also know that's a friend of mine that's also from the recovery community. And these were her words. I want to talk to you about something very important that's going on because get this, you're the most spiritual person that I know. Right, those were her words. You're the most spiritual person that I know. She would go on to ask me what my thoughts were on on premarital sex. This statement probably never crossed her her thoughts again. Okay, she probably never even thought about it again. But this, I'm the most spiritual person that she would ever know. But I, I can tell you this, the point is when a person is told something like you're the most spiritual person that I know, it can go to some very unhealthy places in that person's head. So if a few things were clear whenever she made that comment. Um, no one needs to hear something like that. But then number two, she obviously didn't know me very well. And if she knew me well enough, she probably never would have made the comment, you're the most spiritual person that I know. Because a few years ago, that is something that could have potentially gone to my head because I could, I could see this played out in a way that, that maybe my wife and I or having a disagreement, or what some of us might call an argument. And she says, you're angry. I wish people could see this. I wish people could see that. And then I say, well, you may be upset with me, but I happen to be the most spiritual person some people know. <laughs> and so you can get angry with me if you want to, but to other people, I'm the most spiritual person they know. And knowing my wife the way that I do, she would probably have then said, where is a place that I can throw up? <laughs> All right. And I think that's the way probably that most spouses, <laughs> most spouses would react in situations like that. Today we're in the sixth part, and, and please just let me make this very clear, unless you don't already know this, I'm about as far from the most spiritual person that people know as, as it gets. In fact, my viewpoint is that the most spiritual people that a lot of us know are never on a stage, and they're never in front of people, and they never talk about the things that they're doing. And God sees what they're doing in secret, which is what we're going to be talking about today. We're taking a very different direction uh, today with with this passage than what a lot of the Sermon on the Mount actually looks like. So I'm kind of excited about that. We are in the sixth part of a 10 week series on the most famous sermon of all time the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon covers the basic ethics of Jesus and is also considered to be among the Gospels the most original of Jesus's teachings, all right? So that alone makes it very important. We've wrapped up chapter five of the sermon, and now we're getting into chapter six. We're gonna be talking about the practice of righteousness and the problem with public recognition. Because some of you really like, and you at least know it, okay? You own it. You like to be recognized. 
You like a pat on the back. You like to be told how wonderful you are. And others of you don't, don't necessarily recognize that you're so selfless and you're so altruistic. But whenever you get the chance to post that picture on social media, or whenever you get that chance to tell somebody about the wonderful things that you're doing, you're going to do that so often. One of the most difficult things I've ever found to do is to give money or give something without anyone knowing. I think that's a very, very hard to do, and people have done that for me in the past, and I'm thinking that is just an absolutely incredible thing. Jesus has something to say about this, and he has something to say about this because of the religious climate that's going on during his time. And a lot of what we've talked about have been for people within the church and people outside of the church. So it has applied to a lot of people also that have listened to podcasts and have also listened online. But what we're going to talk about today specifically has to do with the people in this room, and for that matter, people in churches all across the world, all right, what Jesus is going to share today. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at the first eight verses, and then we're going to skip the part on prayer, because what we have here is the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to talk about it next week as we get really, really deep into what Jesus is talking about in prayer, and then we're going to go down and look at verses 16 through 18. Okay, so I'm going to start reading at the beginning of chapter 6, and my subtitle here says, Showy Religion. All right, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Be careful that you don't practice your religion in front of people to draw their attention. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's, that's pretty hardcore. You're not even going to have any reward in heaven if you make it to heaven, if you feel it's important to show your religion in front of other people. Whenever you give to the poor, don't blow your trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may get praise from people. I assure you that's the only reward that they're going to get, and that reward's pretty short-lived. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may give to the poor in secret. This concept of secret is going to be really important or what we could even call the private life. The private life and the secret life is what builds the believer. Not your shouting and your praising in front of people and, and all of the good deeds that you're doing and all of the people that you're helping, but the private life is where we're going to see this really, really. Jesus is on to something here. Your father who sees what you are doing is going to uh, reward you in secret. When you pray, don't be like the, the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners so that people will, will see them. I assure you that the, that's the only reward that they're going to get. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is, who is present in that secret place. Your father who sees what you do will reward you. And when you fast, this is going down to verse 16. We're skipping the, the Lord's Prayer for today. And when you fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites. You know, you know what he's saying here? And then he goes on to say, they distort their faces so that people will know that they're fasting. And you've been around people like this probably before. Oh, I've not had anything to eat all day. I'm starving to death. We'll, we'll get something to eat. No, I'm fasting. I'm in, a, I'm in a spiritual place right now. I need some answers over the next few days. So I'm fasting. 
All right, we've all been around that. Some of us have done that. I assure you that they have the reward. When you fast, brush your hair and wash your face. And this is Jesus's way of saying, try not to look miserable. All right, then you won't look like you're fasting to people, but only to the Father who is present in that secret place. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, here's the thing today. I don't have to tell you to beware of self-righteous people. We have self-righteous people in here right now. I've been self-righteous before. People who are not religious. Did you know that people who are not religious can also be self-righteous? They can be very strong on their own viewpoints, and they can judge others who don't do things the way that they do. And I think that most of us could agree that a great part of the decline of the church is not as much the belief in Jesus or the belief in God, but the way that the people actually live it out. So if you have a lot of people that struggle with church or they don't go to church, a lot of times what they are going to tell you is that whenever I was just a little bit younger, I was really burned by so-and-so, a deacon, a pastor, a church person, someone that I looked up to. Or you'll have people that have not had much exposure to church at all, or people that, again, maybe did go whenever they were younger, and they will say, I just don't want to be around those self-righteous, preachy, judgy people. And this is what I often hear. I can believe in God in my way, all right? I can believe in God in my way and do it from home just as easy as I can do it around all of those other people that act in this particular way. We see it all the time. So there's a couple quick lessons that I want to show you this morning that Jesus is trying to tell us about this. Because some of you in here, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is dealing with you right now. Because again, you don't have to be like a church elder or a worship pastor or a kids ministry leader or a, a lead pastor to go through this. A lot of times, this is people who barely ever go to church for whatever reason. They want to show the whole world all of these good things that they are doing. So the first thing that Jesus is doing right here in this part of the sermon, Jesus is pointing the disciples away from the possibility of their own righteousness, okay? He is saying this, I am taking you through this, what we could almost call this sermon boot camp, like this period of time in which I'm teaching you what it means to be a true follower. I'm showing you through the law, through Judaism, what you've picked up that is very important that you need to continue in, but then also the things that I'm fulfilling or slightly changing that look a little bit different that you need to pay very close attention to. He knew what their influence was going to be. He knew that they were going to do amazing things. And there are some of you in this room right now, and there is nothing that bothers me in this world more other than people being late. There's nothing in this world that bothers me more than untapped potential. The fact that there are people that are in this room right now and God has called you out, but because of the lies of the enemy or because of the things that you've said, I can't do because of X, Y, or Z, you're stuck. Others of you in here are starting to step into that place, and you know and understand that God is calling you to do some amazing things. And this is what Jesus is saying to you today. Be very careful about how you go about that. Because if you ever have the belief, because someone has told you you're the most spiritual person they've ever known, or enough people pat you on the back and tell you how wonderful you are, or people just tell you all these things and you get that self-righteousness about you, please understand you have never arrived. 
in the spiritual life. You have never gotten to the place where you are at a higher place than other people. But so many people believe they are. It's the same system that we have in the world in which we rank people. You don't know what I wish that I understood? I wish I understood as a younger pastor that a prayer closet or getting away for hours with God by myself in secret was more significant than a social media following. It was more significant than people telling me, you're doing great things. What is it you're reading? What is it you're doing right now? You're doing wonderful things. How many times did I actually, instead of getting away with God in that secret place, enjoy the dopamine shot to my brain from shares and likes and all of these things that are following this celebrity pastor culture that is disgusting? Find your secret place. Find this place where God is dealing with you. Matthew, Thomas, Peter, Andrew, I'm going to do amazing things through you. But if you tread and you follow this path of the Pharisees or the scribes, which is what everyone is seeing today, you're going to miss it. People aren't going to trust you. They are going to see you the same way. And because the only reward that you are going to have is here, the power of the Spirit is never going to be activated in your soul the way it needs to. You see, eventually he is going to unleash them to do things that Jesus actually said will be greater than, thing, than the things that I could do. And I think in order to plant churches all over the world at that time, you know what we have? It's just like doubt. and It's just like the thing that we were just talking about. We just don't believe. We just really don't believe the things that we say we believe. God could blow the roof off of this place. But instead, a lot of times we prefer just a complacent, complacent Sunday morning. We know roughly how many songs we're going to have. We know roughly how long I'm going to speak, too long. We know roughly what things are going to look like, and then we go back out into our middle-class worlds, unchanged. And there is more, and that's what Jesus is trying to help the disciples to understand. What we could call this is wrong motive righteousness. That's what it's often referred to. It's when people try to do good things, and they try to pitch in and, and, and do all these things in their social world, but their motives are wrong. And please hear me this today with this, because I hope this strikes a nerve in your heart. You can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. And this corrupts the right thing. And you see, this wrong motive righteousness, this is how the church operates today. This is how it works. Inside, you can do what is absolutely the right thing because what Jesus is talking about are the right things. Giving to the poor, fasting, praying, the spiritual disciplines, growing into these, these are the right things. But you can do a lot of the right things in your life for the wrong reasons. And what this in turn does is it corrupts this right thing. You see, the disciples are just getting started. They're cutting their teeth on this ministry that Jesus is giving them. And it's very important that they understand this. So Jesus fully supports the spiritual disciplines. And Jesus is confronting the three main pillars of Jesus, of, of Jewish piety. And what these are, are almsgiving, or giving to the poor, prayer, 
and fasting. This is it. You are supposed to give to the poor. That is not a, 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 an option. That is not something that is optional in the Jewish life. You're supposed to regularly pray. You wake up every day, you do the Shema, you do it later in the day as well. You fast every Wednesday and Friday. Jesus is not denying that these things are important. Keep in mind that the disciples are always giving to the poor. Keep in mind that Jesus is always sneaking away to get alone with the Father. Jesus, uh, within this same passage, is teaching them how to pray. Keep in mind that Jesus, is, before he begins his public ministry, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights, and he practices this. So this is obviously very important stuff. Jesus is not taking away from it, but this is the question. Do these practices bring glory to God, or are they about recognition of self? Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Modern language, look at my credentials. Look at how big my church is. Look at the influence I'm having on this group of people. Look at all these churches that I'm helping. Look at all these, uh, these addicts or these poor people or, or these people that are going through divorce that I'm helping. Me, me, me. But at what point do we really get alone and recognize that all the glory must go up? That we are absolutely nothing, that our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. Again, uh, so many people, I'm listening to a podcast right now that's absolutely wonderful, but if you're, if you're, you're familiar with Ed Stetzer, one thing that he says, and I'm going to try to say this the correct way, but I'll probably, uh, I'll probably misquote, but he says, the problem with so many young leaders is that their influence starts to grow before their character really has time to develop. So the reason that we see all these scandals in the church, the reason that we see uh, pastors having to resign, every single day we hear a new story about things that are going on, is because a lot of times the prominence or the attention or the glory and the goodness that they receive is there before the spiritual disciplined life really has the opportunity to grow. Jesus knew that people craved public attention. It wasn't something new to him. Jesus understood that. Maybe there are a few of you in here that are like the behind the scenes kind of person, but I'm not. I'm addicted to the hero role. I've told you, I like to swoop in and save the day. I like to swoop in and make things better. And this is something that I've had to be repentant about And sometimes whenever I have to take a back step so other people can do the work that God has called them to do, it's very hard for me. So this message, this teaching hits me harder than some of the ones that we've already talked about, like forgiving others, for example. This is harder for me. If you're familiar, and I use this in marriage counseling, but if you're familiar with Gary Chapman's five love languages, some of you maybe are, one of my love languages is words of affirmation. You know what that means? It means I like to, when I work hard, I like to be told by my spouse, you're doing good work. I appreciate everything that you're doing. When you guys tell me, good sermon, you're doing a good job, uh, things are going well at Believer's Church, whatever things like that, 
It makes me feel very good. Things like that are very important to me. And if I don't feel like Beth's doing a good enough job with it, I start fishing around for compliments. It's pathetic. But some of you do the exact same thing. Do, do I look okay today? Is my hair regrowing? No, I never asked that. But we even fish around sometimes because we like to be, to be, and you know what, like I'm noticing, and I'm going to sound ancient, like a relic whenever I say this, and I just own that because I, I know what I am. But have you noticed now even younger people, and I'm talking uh, mainly Generation uh, Y and, and some millennials, they're even like in their stories on Facebook, they're trying to send you to their pictures to like them, like so that this dopamine shot, it's one of the most unhealthy things for the human emotions that we can possibly experience. And I see it all the time. Like my story, like this, like that, you know, so that they can get more and more and more attention to what? Good causes? Things that they're doing? No, pictures of themselves. All the time. And let me say this also, because this can be an area of a little bit of confusing, a little bit of confusion. There is never anything wrong with bragging on the church. There is never anything wrong with corporately sharing things on social media. So with, with Beth's hope bags over here, with neighborhood nights, with l the lunchroom project, with all these things that we're getting involved in in the community, you're going to see me post away. You're going to see me talk about the things that the body is doing. But it's very different when we are, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And you've all seen it before, and some of you have even practiced it. The other thing that Jesus is teaching us is he's setting the stage for the importance of the private life, or what we could call uh, the secret life. We see that he personally developed this in getting alone with the Father. On a regular basis in the ministry of Jesus, we see over and over him praying all night, departing from the crowd, uh, waking up early. See, this is the difference between me and Jesus. If, if it's after church and people tell me good sermon and all that kind of stuff, I just, you know, sometimes my, my ego, uh, not my ego, but, but a good feeling inside. You know, I have a good feeling like, okay, well, I did okay today. But when Jesus had those kind of praises, do you know what he do? What he did? Do you remember this in scripture? He withdraws. He withdraws from the crowd. And I believe in, in being fully human and fully God, a lot of times he just had to check his motives and he had to say, okay, Father, what's next? It wasn't, okay, good. This morning went well, took care of that, healed 17 people, developed my crowd further. The, two of the disciples picked up this lesson. It was withdrawing and understanding. It was the importance of that disciplined private life. Now, please hear this. Every devoted follower of Jesus perfects the disciplined private life so that others can see Jesus in their public life. And the problem is that we're always trying to do this the other way around. We want everyone to see what we are doing publicly. We want to talk about what we are doing publicly. Every follower of Jesus becomes strong as a result of a disciplined private life that I believe so few of us really understand. And this is really just becoming very, very, very much more fresh and new to me as time goes on in my own development. Hypocrisy, 
Judgmental behavior, shallow spirituality. Shallow spirituality is a result of those who have not mastered the discipline of the private life. About 15 years ago, I went on spring break to Jamaica and and usually tried to go somewhere like that every year. One of my friends and I went... And we went to this little, this little island town called Negril, Jamaica. It's actually often referred to as the capital of casual. And I can promise you that it was the capital of casual. All right? And, I mean, there were these, uh, these cliffs, this area where there were these cliffs. And, you know, you look down in the water like 30 or 40 feet. And if you flip a coin and it goes down into to the ocean and it's maybe 10 feet, you know, because you can jump off the cliff, you could clearly see it's clearest water that I've ever seen in my life. And in those, in those days, as undisciplined as I was, and as much as I partied and was reckless and did all these things, I've always had a close relationship with my grandmother, so I would always bring her something back, you know, from, from wherever this, you know, exotic place was that I would try to go back then. But, so we're, we're swimming kind of in these caves and, and all these other places, absolutely incredible, I've never seen anything like it. But whenever we get out, there's this street vendor, and he's standing there, and he is selling these, these wooden uh, animals, like these carved out, you know, from, from, from like large pieces of wood. He's, he's carving these small animals, and they're exquisite. They're absolutely incredible. They're beautiful. And um, I, I think that what he had wanted for them was, was 6,000 J's, which is the equivalent of 40 American dollars. But for those of you that have traveled in the Caribbean before, you know that everything's negotiable. And if, you, if you've been on a cruise before or if you've just, you know, flown to the Bahamas or somewhere like that, you know that if you're trying to buy merchandise, someone might ask for something, but then you can try to ask for it lower and then you meet in the middle. So it's not like they're set prices or anything like that. So he was wanting 40 American and I offered 37 J's, which is about 25 American dollars. This is about 15 years ago. And he wouldn't budge. Like, he wasn't going to budge, and usually they'll say okay after a little while, and he didn't speak very good English. He spoke Patois, which is kind of a Creole, broken English uh, that, is, that is often spoken in Jamaica. So we weren't able to communicate very well, but he was just going, no, 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 like that. And eventually, and I, so I wasn't going to buy it. And then he did this, and I'll never forget this. He opened up his hands, and whenever he opened up his hands, you know how you have lines on the inside of your hands? There were no lines and the inside of his hands were yellow. I'd never seen anything like it. It didn't even look like human hands. And what this was actually from was years and years of handcrafting every single one of these um, objects, this art, in private. He didn't push his work through fancy salesmanship and marketing. He didn't sell his products through the gift of gab or through working in front of an audience. Get this. He mastered the private life of disciplined craftsmanship. Every single day of his life. He wasn't out in front of people with wonderful English, big salesmen. You know how they are. I've been in all these side streets. They'll offer you tequila and everything, and then you'll usually give them the money they want. They'll offer you liquor. They'll do everything to try to get you to buy things. Sometimes you'll overpay after that. But it's like he, he wasn't budging. He was right where he was. And he had used his disciplined private life to make something that would last. 
He showed me the insides of disciplined hands that had worked over time. So the question is this for us. Do we have that disciplined private life in which we don't have to say, look at me, I've arrived, I've been in ministry this long, I pastor a church with 13 campuses, everybody comes to me when they've got their problems, I'm kind of a big deal, I'm spiritually probably in a different place than you are. Jesus says that those people will get their reward right there. That you will be rewarded in the next kingdom. Please hear this as it echoes through eternity. Give to the poor in secret. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. When you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is present in that secret place. Verses 17 and 18. When you fast, brush your hair and wash your face so that you don't look sickly. Then you won't look like you're fasting to people, but only to the Father who is present in that secret place. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. I gave that man every penny that he asked for. And after traveling overseas and and obviously buying things from, from a lot of people over time, I can't tell you what anyone else looked like. And my memory is very vague, even though some of these things have been a lot more recent than 15 years but I will never forget that experience. God is teaching the disciples the same thing that he is teaching us again, that he is teaching us today, and here it is again. You can do the right things, things that are powerful, things that have the ability to change people's lives, and I can promise you, we are doing some of those things right now, and we've not even really started. But if you do those right things for the wrong reason, it will always corrupt the right thing. Do everything within your ability and within your power as a child of God to protect the right thing because it's the only thing that matters. Father, we come to you this morning grateful for your word. Uh, Father, grateful for the unspoken heroes that that make the wheels turn and do so many things that, that don't need the pat on the back, that don't need the attention, that have truly mastered the art of this secret place. And my prayer more than anything this morning is that we will become more diligent about our prayer lives. We will become more diligent about giving. Father, for those who may not have a lot of background in in fasting, that we will become more diligent. 
But what we are doing, Father, when we open this up in private to you, and Father, there's a time for public prayer. There's a time, obviously, for public worship. But whenever we open ourselves up to you in this place, the intimacy that we grow from is the kind of intimacy that Jesus grew from, that transformed and changed the disciples, that transformed and changed other people in this first century context, that would go on to transform Peter and Paul and Silas and so many others that set this world on fire. Father, anyone that's ever followed you, anyone that's ever trusted you, and anyone that has ever made a kingdom impact has understood the importance of making it a priority to find that secret place with you. We lift you up and we praise you this morning. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.